All right. I haven't known your pastor long, but I could tell you I love him, and uh, he is definitely a, 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 a good man, and you all are certainly blessed to have him as your senior pastor. Um, I would say don't take it for granted that all pastors are people who care about their flock in a biblical way, because there are a lot of people who have the title pastor who don't take the responsibility seriously. Um, so thank you very much. All right. And the fact that you're here and you, and you just had a baby. So you and your wife just had a baby like within the past couple of weeks. That's a big deal. So uh, so thank you. So he cares about you. Um, now, it is my pleasure to be here once again with you, my brothers and my sisters. Uh, and, and so today we are going to just talk about uh, just God's word. And we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught. Um, and I'm going to do like I did last time and just take this off here. That'll make that easier for me. There you go. So we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught and the way that it relates to how we should apply it to our lives. But before we hop into the parable, I'm going to tell you about uh, a man by the name of Pastor Jeffrey Johnson, who's the senior pastor of the Eastern Star Church in Indiana. Now, Jeffrey Johnson took a trip to St. Louis, Missouri several years ago. And, and when he got there, the host pastor said, hey, I'm going to take you on a tour of the city. And so the host pastor did that. And then they came to this neighborhood and the neighborhood baffled Jeffrey Johnson. You see, on the one hand, Please try again. Siri. That's technology. When it works, it's your best friend. When it doesn't, it's your worst enemy. So let me just turn it off. But so they got there. And they were in this neighborhood, and the neighborhood baffled Jeffrey Johnson because on the one hand, you had these big stately houses that had uh, nice detail, they were made of brick, and they had large backyards and large front yards. But on the other hand, the houses were detached. So the garages were detached from the houses. As he looked at the sidewalks and the roads, they were cracked and coming apart. And so he asked the pastor, he said, hey, what's going on? Because I can tell that this used to be a nice neighborhood, but it's literally falling apart. So the host pastor smiled and he said, I was waiting for you to ask me that question. That's why we came to this neighborhood. So long story short, what happened is the developer that built the neighborhood took what used to be an old dump yard. And instead of doing the right thing and clearing out the trash and the garbage, he literally brought in dump loads of uh, our truckloads of dirt and and tried to pack dirt over the trash. And so what ended up happening was they they tried to pack the dirt down on the trash and built the houses, the sidewalks and the roads on trash. And because the ground wasn't stable, everything that was built on the unstable ground started to come apart. So the lesson was, anytime you build on unstable ground, what you have built will eventually come down. And we see that in the parable that Jesus teaches today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Jesus teaches us about building on stable versus unstable ground in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And this is how it reads. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the what? Rock. Hey, don't forget, I used to be a teacher. If I ask you a question, I'm looking for feedback, right? Who built this house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the what? Sand. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Most gracious God, thank you for blessing us to be here today. Thank you for, again, these my brothers and my sisters, your creation, your sons and daughters. And as we take these few moments to look at your word, God, I pray that you will minister to us as a group and as individuals so that we can each leave here better persons, better followers of Christ. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Now, in today's text, we see this parable that Jesus has taught to those in his time. And it's interesting that he actually gives this parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that the Sermon on the Mount is arguably the greatest sermon ever preached by anybody. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the Beatitudes. He talks about being salt and life on earth. He talks about Christ fulfilling the law. He talks about adultery and marriage, loving your enemies, how to pray, how to fast. He talks about the straight gate versus the narrow gate. And then he teaches about people who have works but no relationship with him and a number of other topics. But then again, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of this life-changing, paradigm-shifting sermon, Jesus literally gives an illustration about the wise man and the foolish man to drive home what happens when you don't follow Jesus' teaching. Now think about this. Now, brothers and sisters, think about this now. Jesus gives this life-changing sermon, and then he literally turns and says, even though I've given you this rich information, some of you are going to choose to not follow what I have just told you. And the result of it is that you will have a great fall in your life. Now, since Jesus made it a point to drive that home, to drive that message home, I figure that we should examine this parable so that we can be like the wise man and not the foolish man. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. You see, we have both men who had materials, they had opportunity to build, they had their choice of location, and they had time. In the parable, both men had materials, opportunity, choice of location, and time. Both men built their houses. But both men also face, watch this, the same storm, the same wind, the same rain, and the same flood. They both face the same storm, same wind, same rain, and same flood. But only one person's house fell, and the Bible declares that it was a great fall. Now, as I read through this, there's a question that comes up that I thought that we should examine together. And that question is this. If both men had the opportunity and the material to build and they faced the same storm, why is it that only one man's house fell and the other man's house stood tall? Because I don't know about you all, but when I face the storms of life, I want to be like the wise man and I want my house to stand tall. Is there anybody else in here who wants your house to stand tall as you go through the storms of life, right? Like we want our house to stand tall, right? Now, watch this. I got a three-piece puzzle that we need to put together. How many of y'all like doing puzzles, right? Some of y'all, all right, well, here's the deal. All of us are gonna put this puzzle together, and again, it's only three pieces, right? But this three-piece puzzle is gonna help us in life. Now, here's the first puzzle piece, right? Because again, the question is, why is it that one man's house stood tall and one man's house fell? All right, so puzzle piece number one 
We're going to verse 24, verses 24 and verse 26, but verse 24 first. Watch this. Puzzle piece number one, the wise man. It says, everyone who, it says, that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the wise man built his house on rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So we know automatically that number one, the difference is the wise man built on rock, the foolish man built on sand. Now here's the question that comes up. Why are there different types of soil anyway? This is where puzzle piece number two comes in. Now, in order for you to appreciate puzzle piece number two, I got to give you a quick science lesson, all right? Why? Here's why. Because we need to go back in time and understand the context in which Jesus told this parable. Because when we can understand what Jesus' audience would understand, then that helps us to appreciate the parable even more. So watch this. I did some research, right? So in the area of Galilee, in the area of Galilee, they have limestone. So this is 2,000 years ago, but it still exists today. The limestone is made up of sedentary rock. Sedentary rock is made up of sediments or sand. So in the region of Galilee, there are three layers of soil. The top layer is sediment, which is sand, sediment. The second layer is limestone which is formed from the crystallizing or the hardening of the sediment or sand. And then the third layer is solid rock. So watch this, sand, limestone, solid rock. Got that? Sand, limestone, solid rock. So watch this. We know that there are three layers, but the question is because this, the wise man built on the solid rock, which is at the bottom, the foolish man built on the sand, which is at the top. So another question comes up, right? If there's three layers, sand, limestone, and rock, right? Who in here would build a house on sand? Raise your hand. Who in here would build a house on rock? Raise your hand. I would, right? So the foolish man had to know that it was not a good idea to build a house on sand. So the question is, why would the foolish man build a house on sand? There's got to be a good reason, right? Because why would you invest time, resources, and money to build a house on sand? Well, check this out. Puzzle piece number three, and then our puzzle would be complete, all right? So check this out. So to put puzzle piece number three in place, we got to go to Luke's account of this parable. So this is Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49. Y'all, this is where it gets good. I get excited about this. Watch this. So this is Jesus talking, and this is Luke's version of the story. Now, watch this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house. Watch this. Okay, everybody say this loud. Building a house who what? D say it again. Who dug deep right? Dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. So watch this, y'all. The clue or the answer to the question is right before us. 
So in Luke's account of this, in verse 48, it tells us that the wise man built on the rock because he what? Dug deep. He dug deep. So the wise man had to deal with the same ground, the same three layers of soil that the foolish man did, but the wise man took the effort to get through the sand, through the limestone, and to the rock. The foolish man did not. The foolish man said, I'm not getting past the sand, I'm not getting through the limestone, and I'm not going to bother to get to the rock. I'm just going to build on this top surface. So watch this. Both men set out to build a house. Both men spent money on supplies, but only one took the time to dig deep to get to rock. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking because I can see the look on y'all's face. Some of y'all are thinking that lazy, no good, foolish man, he got exactly what he deserved because he didn't dig deep and get past the sand. That's what some of y'all are thinking. I can see, I can see it on your face. I can see it on your face. I see it on your face. I see it on your face. I, I definitely see it on your face, right? Here's the deal. Because I thought like that too. But let's remember, what's the point of this parable? Is the point of this parable to teach us how to build a better house? No. The point of the parable is to teach us the difference in consequences of those who listen to Jesus' teachings meaning the word of God, versus those who do not. And I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, that we got too many people, hopefully nobody in here, but maybe somebody in here, but we for sure have too many people, even in the body of Christ, who know the word of God, but do not apply the word of God to their lives. And that is why at times it's actually difficult to differentiate between Christians and non-Christians because we have too many people who are Christians who know God's word but don't properly apply it. So watch this. Watch this. How many of us have been or even currently are like the foolish man? See, we know what God's word says, but we don't do it. And some of us haven't even taken the time to study God's word like we should. If I stepped on your toes and you can't say amen, just say ouch. Because I know I just stepped on somebody's toes. But don't worry, I used to be there too. But here's the deal. Watch this. James 1.22 says this. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word, doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Y'all, we have people who are Christians. Now, I'm talking to Christians right now. But we have people who are Christians who know the word and they hear the word, but they don't do the word. We want to be doers. Now, watch this. Watch this. Let me talk to Christians for a second. Because as we go through the word, give me 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. So, 1 Peter 1 through 7. If if you're a Christian and you want a better marriage, watch this. Read and apply 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, because it tells husband, husbands how to act towards your wives. Excuse me, wives how to act towards husbands. Respect them. And then husbands how to act towards wives. Love. It's a working process, right? But then we go to singles. Singles. 
If you want to stop being involved with rascals and jokers and knuckleheads and people who mean you no good, apply 2 Corinthians 6.14, which says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, some of y'all singles, y'all need to like just tuck this and write it on the table of your heart. But then watch this. Do you want peace in the midst of the storms of life? Apply Isaiah 26.3, which says, God will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on him. Well, how about this? Are you looking for direction in life? Are you looking for direction in life? Apply Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Well, how about this? Somebody says, that's good, Sammy, but I'm trying to get a promotion at work or I'm even trying to get a job. Well, how about this? Um, how about apply Colossians 3.23, which says this, whatever you do, do heartily as unto God and not unto man, but then rest in Psalm 75, 6 through 7, which says this, promotion comes neither from the east nor the west nor the south, but God is the judge. He puts one down and exalts another. Well, how about this? Do you have concerns? Watch this. For some of y'all, this is about to be a curse word. Some of y'all have concerns about midterm elections. Apply Romans 13.1. Check it out. Romans 13.1 says that there is no authority except from God, and the authorities are appointed by God. So what does that mean? Let me break it down right quick. Y'all, it doesn't matter whether it's Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Libertarians, Tea Party, Green Party, whatever kind of party. At the end of the day, nobody gets elected that God has not preordained to be elected. Watch this. For his purposes. Now, when I say for his purposes, just because God allows somebody to get elected doesn't mean that person is righteous. Go back and read the Old Testament. There were plenty of evil kings for God's purpose. But God allows people, either righteous or evil, to be in office because God is the one who is guiding us and directing us for his purpose. Because ultimately, this world, as we know it, will pass away. This heaven and this earth will pass away, right? And there will be a new heaven and a new earth one day. So God is not so concerned about um, sustaining or this earth as we know it forever because this will pass away so god puts people in place ultimately to bring his will about now watch this go to the book of acts the time that the christian church flourished the most is when when there was persecution and there were evil leaders in place so y'all at the end of the day yes be knowledgeable yes vote Yes, be involved. But if your candidate doesn't win, it's okay. Why? Because God is still in control. Now, let me move on here. Do you have trouble sleeping at night? Try Psalm 4.8. I will both lay down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Um, do you have trouble with laziness and procrastination? Ladies, I know this is not y'all. This is for some of the fellas, right? Watch this. Uh, Proverbs. 10.4 says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Um, are you tired of being beat up by the enemy? Well, try Ephesians 6.10-11, which says, be strong in the Lord 
And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So what is the armor of God? The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, feet covered with the preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Watch this. This is for somebody. Are you tired of low self-esteem and thinking negatively about yourself? Well, how about going with 2 Corinthians 10, 5, which says this, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity and the obedience of Christ. Try that one, but then try this one also. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, yo, check this out. Did I just say yo? I said yo. I, I went back to high school. But, yeah, it's all good. But check it out. Sometimes we have these negative thoughts and negative thought patterns. And the Bible is clear that we need to think like Christ. Let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be also in you. So we have to learn to quote the scripture and apply the scripture. But then check this out. Are you unable to forgive a person who has wronged you? In other words, are you operating in unforgiveness? Watch this. Which one? Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you have trouble loving people with unconditional love? Try 1 John 4.20, which says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, watch this, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, y'all, how can you sit here and say you love God and you haven't seen God and you don't love your brother or sister who's next to you? Amen. Do you have a problem with anger? Try James 119. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be what? Quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. I'm still working on that one. Transparency. Still working on that one, all right? I'm a working process. 15, do you have a hard time engaging in private and public worship? Where's my worship team? So y'all should love this scripture right here. Like, this should be y'all's theme scripture. Watch this. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Watch this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. So y'all, the Bible is just peppered with scriptures that apply to every area of life if we will read it, study it, and apply it. But the challenge is, too many of us don't wanna dig deep like the wise man, but watch this. What if you're a non-believer and you're saying, okay, Sam, and that's good for the Christians, but what about me? Because I haven't even gotten there yet. Here's what I say. If you are a non-believer, meaning that you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then not only are you building your house on sand, but you are in the quicksand of sin. But I got some verses for you. Four verses right quick. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or how about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Or how about Romans 10, 9? 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Or how about Hebrews 3.15? I love this one. Today. 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 If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. If you know that you have not received Christ in your hearts and he is he is pulling on your heartstrings today. Today is the day to come to him. Now, watch this. I'm bringing my plane in for a landing. How do we know that we can trust the Bible? Because I hear some people saying, Sammy, that's great. Like the scriptures, that's great. But how do I know the Bible is authentic? Here's how I tell you, because God in his wisdom orchestrated creation to affirm everything that he established. God in his wisdom, he orchestrated creation to affirm everything that he created. Watch this chart. So this chart and I sent this out and your pastor told me that he actually has shown you a chart, something like this. So this so for some of you, many of you, this won't be your first time seeing this type of chart. But what this chart is, is it looks at authenticated manuscripts, right? So on the far left-hand side, you have the author, so the authors, so like Plato, Homer, uh, Julius Caesar, Pliny. So those are the authors. The next column, we have their works. So like the Iliad, um, the Gaelic Wars, and the Annals of, of Imperial Rome. These are all works that have been authenticated. How have they been authenticated? Far right, because one of the ways is we have manuscript copies. Now check this out. The more manuscripts you have that are consistent to the original text, the more it validates the authenticity of the original text. So for instance, Plato, they have between 210 and 240 manuscripts. So a manuscript would be like a copyright of the original work. So they have like maybe parts of the original work and the manuscripts are consistent. So there might be some variants, but for the most part, the manuscripts are consistent and the manuscripts are consistent with the original work that we might have copies of. So as you go through in the white here, so the biggest number is 1800. So Homer, the Iliad, there are 1800 plus copies of the Iliad, the original work. 1800 is the biggest number. Go down to the yellow, y'all. Greek New Testament manuscripts. 5,856 manuscript copies. Check that out. That's like almost 6,000, right? Almost four times. Uh, Non-Greek New Testament manuscripts. 18,000. Check it out. Um, Old Testament scrolls. 42,000. So total biblical manuscripts. 66,000. Now, the biggest number that comes close, Homer's Iliad, 1,800. Biblical manuscripts, total, Old Testament, New Testament, 66,000. Now, y'all, this is big. It's big because, uh, so, so this system of determining manuscripts was not made up by theologians, by Christian theologians. This was developed by historical literary experts. They came up with this system, not Christians. Somebody else came up with the system. We're just playing by the rules and we have more manuscripts than all of these works put together. 
So y'all, there is no reason to doubt the authenticity of the Bible. So when we know we have the authenticity, the, uh, the authentic work of the Bible, it makes it a lot easier for us to read, study, and apply God's word to our lives. Last slide, please. And so closing, applying God's word requires intentional work on our individual part. I can't study the Bible for my wife and she can't study it for me. We can study together, but I can't study for her. She can't study for me. You can't study for your boo and your boo can't study for you. Your best friend can't study for you and you can't study for your best friend. You can do it together, but you can't do it for the other person. Number two, we cannot apply what we do not know. We must diligently study the Bible. And then number three, failing to apply God's word in our lives means a great crash is on the way. Now watch this. Last point here. The foolish man. I can only think of three reasons why the foolish man did not dig deep to get to rock. Either he was ignorant and didn't know that he needed to dig deep, right? Either he was lazy or he was hard-hearted. Either he was ignorant, lazy, or hard-hearted. Y'all, when it comes to applying God's word and knowing that we need to apply God's word, nobody who is under the sound of my voice, whether you're in the sanctuary or online, or whether you watch this on a podcast later, nobody can claim ignorance anymore. We all have been made aware. So that leaves two options, being lazy or being hard-hearted. If you're lazy, go back to Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand brings poverty, and it will bring spiritual poverty. And if you're hard-hearted, then pray that God will take your stony heart and turn it into a heart of flesh. Let us pray. Most gracious God, thank you for blessing us to be here. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you are, God. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word that is unshakable and infallible and authentic, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be all that you've created us to be. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Um, let's spend some time in prayers together um, before we uh, have Pastor Sam back up here and close in prayer for us. Uh, let's have the, the word that we just heard uh, sink down deep into our hearts. Um, and, and we do that by asking God to do that uh, because uh, left to ourselves, uh, you know, we will resist. Left to ourselves, we will uh, cling on to our own uh, desires and our own foundations. Um, I don't know about you, but um, as I just think about uh, what we just heard I'm really excited uh, because what this means is that uh, we are on a path onto something great, something lasting, right? You know, when, when I read things, when I watch things um, that uh, feature people who are um, building, building their houses on sands or shifting uh, you know things of the world um, like to be really honest I know of course some people may say this may sound judgmental but I cringe a lot because uh, 
what they um, propose about how they should live their lives, uh, it, it sounds plausible. Many times I realize, oh my goodness, the destruction is the end. And there's really no other way to, you know, sugarcoat it. I know that we're living in an age where um, offending others is not a, a virtue. But hey, um, when I look at uh, what they're saying and how, you know, they'll, they'll live their lives and where they'll end up, um, genuinely from caring hard for them, I, I see it's not going to end well. But when we turn to God, the creator of everything, uh, and when he says there is a better way to have a deep foundation, uh, the true way to live, um, and when I look at that and, and, and I see that he built his church and he is drawing us to that direction, where we can have true life, um, true foundation and security in our lives. Um, that's an exciting thing. Uh, we're on that path together as a church. And one thing I want us to think about as we pray about um, what we just heard is um, what we need is uh, patience and grace. Meaning, uh, I love the image that Pastor Sam gave us from the scripture of digging deep, right? It's not just, um, you know, having a shallow foundation versus deep, but it's, it's more so because the rock is the third layer, um, we have to go deep. And, and it takes time. Uh, what that means is, we really have to be patient and have to show each other grace and show ourselves grace um, and encourage one another to not quit but keep going deeper. And let me remind you, the reason why people quit on Christianity is because it gets so hard. When we get to maybe limestone uh, layer, when the, the word challenges you and even offends you, it, it may sever your ties with the uh, best friends, even families, it hurts. Uh, it can push you to extreme. That's why it takes a long time. And to me, that's why we have one another in, in, in our church um, on this journey. We need lots of grace. Grace that propels, encourages one another to go, to go deeper when everything about our lives may shout at us to quit. So let us, with that in mind, uh, go into prayer together. Uh, that as we are onto this journey, onto this path of going deeper into God's word, uh, may God bless the path. May God uh, bring us together. May God keep us and uh, give us patience uh, because I know that we know that the end is great. That's what I, to be honest, what I read about with my son this morning when we were doing quiet time together, that our hope 
is in a God who will wipe away all our tears from our eyes. That's what we're going towards. And again, it takes a long time. But something great is waiting for us. So let's pray together. God help us. God help me um, to uh, desire your word. Help me to um, love your word and keep going deeper. And help me to be a blessing to others in my church uh, to go deeper as well. Let's pray together for just a few minutes or so, and then I'll, I'll ask uh, Pastor Sam to come up and close for us. Let's pray.